Welcome to Politically Pissed. My name is Saeed Charbini, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Kachi and Simon. Say hi, y'all. Hello. Hey. And we have a very special guest, and I'm going to let him introduce himself. Go ahead. Hey, how are you? Uh, This is uh, Joe Salazar, former state representative. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you being here. You mentioned you're a state representative, so we want to start off by talking about your background a little bit. What got you interested in politics? What age did you start at? Where did you first start? Stuff like that. Oh wow, yeah. So um, I was—I've uh, always been interested in politics, uh, even as uh, you know, a younger adult. I was quite the spirited activist at CU Boulder back in the late '80s and early '90s, and always involved in some type of political action or some type of political movement up there, uh, from you know, uh, protesting the university for not having ethnic studies. Uh, we we did a um, a hunger strike and ended up getting ethnic studies. Uh, up at CU Boulder and Ethnic Studies Department, actually, to, you know, protesting what was happening during the Rodney King era. I mean, it was a pretty active time in the in the early 90s uh, while I was there. Um, and then, you know, it uh, led to me uh, having to sit down with the president of CU at the time, uh, Judith Albino, um, and working with coalitions of uh, of uh, groups of color, you know, from, from Black Student Alliance to Oyate to uh, United Mexican American students, the LGBTQ uh, uh, student um, organization, and um, God, so many other organizations, and so that, that just pretty much uh, seemed to put me on a path of of uh, wanting to uh, to serve the public. Um, and then uh, I would say that it was in February of 2011, I believe it was, when um, the legislature, uh, at the height of the recession decided that it was going to take $110,000 away from kids who were free and reduced school lunch kids in uh in public and you know in our public schools and that just that pissed me off something fierce and I decided to run at that moment and so is that when you first made your run for state house yeah that was my first time uh, running for the for the state house of representatives state house. okay yeah. so state house first so you, you just started rabble-rousing real young, didn't you? I did. Like, as soon as I got to see you, it was like, it was it was a an intellectual awakening mm-hmm. uh, when I got to see you. I mean, there's stuff that you just don't learn in public schools here in the state of Colorado. Yeah. And so when, when I when I got to see you, I started taking all my classes. And, and uh, like I said, it was just like this awakening that I had. And from there, um, it led to, you know, multiple movements and what have you. And uh, when you were in the state house, driven by that passion for schools and stuff like that, what what sort of legislation did you maybe pass in that time frame to help schools? Well, yeah, I mean, so I, I brought a lot of legislation related to um, it was the study of of ethnic groups, uh, you know, mandating a better curriculum for the study of uh, Asian, African American, American Indian of of, of those groups, and um, you know, I drove that home pretty hard that we needed to have better uh, education where that was concerned. It finally passed this year. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm no longer in the House, mm-hmm. it, it passed and that's this 1192, year. right? The House Bill 1192? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so it finally passed, and now a, a real curriculum is going to be established for, for kids 
in uh, K through 12 education throughout the state of Colorado. What we've learned, and I knew this uh, early on, is that uh, when you when you teach children in a culturally competent way, um, culturally relevant way, they end up becoming better human beings because you know they're able to empathize with one another and understand each other's histories. Imagine that uh, actually understanding someone else's history and saying, "Oh man, well you know I'm not going to be a jerk to you because uh, mm. I get where you're where you're coming from." And then, you know, I passed uh, a lot of bills, I mean, uh, to get get rid of debtors' prisons in the state of Colorado, which resulted in, like, literally tons and tons of poor families, you know, being saved from uh, being incarcerated uh, because they couldn't pay a, a fine or a court cost. Yeah, there's there's a lot that I that, did. Yeah, that was <laughs> a, that, that's a big topic for me, too. But would you, what would you say over your time in there? was your favorite sort of subject or bill or something like that that you were focused on? So, so my favorite, my favorite bills, uh, had to do with the, uh, the indigenous community. I'm indigenous. Uh, uh both of my uh, great grandmothers were Apache and, uh, you know, I ran a lot of bills for the, for the American Indian community and they were my favorite bills, but I have to say that, uh, it was my, it, it was, it will always be my regret that I was not able to get one bill across the finish line for the American Indian community. I mean, the racism that I experienced in the legislature and outside the legislature for running bills for the American Indian community, it was astounding. Like, I ran a lot of controversial bills. Mm -hmm. Those bills uh, brought the most amount of racism um, that I experienced while in the legislature. Mm. Can can you tell us maybe which side you felt it from most, or was it both sides, or... Yeah. Well, it was more open from Republicans, but mm-hmm. uh, but Dems were, you know, definitely low key uh, in their racism, mm-hmm. um, like you know, getting rid of Columbus Day as a holiday. Yeah. He's kind of a slave trader, right? I mean, history bears that out. Yeah. And uh, you know, why would we celebrate such a man who who involved mm-hmm. himself in the West Indies slave trade as well as ushering in, you know, basically the American uh, the 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 American Holocaust? Um, you know, his what his soldiers did was uh, just. It was just horrible um, what they did to the American Indian population or the indigenous population. And so, um, yeah, I mean, Democrats did everything that they could to try to justify why they would vote uh, to kill my bill. And uh, and all of it was pretty, um, pretty poor justification. Was was the answer typically that it was going to die in the Republican controlled Senate in the first place? Was that an, an easy way out or? Yeah. What was the most common one you heard? Well, the most common one I heard is that we were going to upset the Italian-American community. But we had Italian-Americans coming to testify in favor of the bill saying, yeah, Columbus doesn't represent me. Um, and we know the history of Columbus. Why would we want to celebrate this guy? Um, but that they use that. They use one group against another to justify the, mm. um, you know, the death of the bill. So with the passage of HB 1192 that you had pioneered, but you were not in the legislature mm-hmm. to celebrate the the victory as its prime sponsor, what does it do specifically for American Indians? Because they're mentioned in there. Can mm-hmm. this be used as a tool to teach about the genocide and the genocidal massacres of, you know, in Sand Creek and, and others? Can it help to transform uh, the understanding of Columbus's legacy and and or, or is that a very open-ended bill that is open to interpretation? No, actually, that that was the cool thing about this bill. Um, I always had a very um, a very heavy hand on my bills. I, I wanted to make sure that they were drafted the way that I wanted them to to be drafted, and 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 also to match out the vision that I had. So 
when I sat down with community, uh, it was Nita Gonzalez, a Chicana activist here in Denver, who said, you know, Joe, we, we, we really should have a bill that does X, Y, and Z. And I said, well, let me think about how to put this together. And, and the best way that I could put it together, um, one that would actually uh, teach history as it should be taught, was to develop a commission, a commission mm. of experts in those areas who can come together develop the curriculum and to teach exactly what needs to be taught. So the Sand Creek Massacre and all, all other, uh, you know, types of um, both egregious as well as beautiful aspects of, of, of the cultures that, uh, that are represented in the bill. And, um, and, but this commission would put this curriculum together and then recommend that curriculum to all the public schools. And so the next phase of it, and this is something that I told the bill sponsors who brought it and passed it this year, as I said, that was, that was only the first phase. The, the next phase is to fund it. Right. The next phase is to mandate it and to fund it. That's what you need to do because you don't want to have an unfunded mandate on the K through 12 education. Um, fund it and mandate that it has to be taught this curriculum. So I think that that's what they're going to be working on um, in order to to move that vision forward. But um, yeah, I was I was really proud of that bill. And you know, and someone asked me the question. They said, "Well, you know, um, I bet I bet you feel." You, you know, you feel angry or you feel sad that uh, that you couldn't get that bill across the finish line uh, while you were there and that it took this year to, to get across the finish line. I was like, if you're an activist, sometimes you know that you have to set the table for people to eat. Hmm. And that's what I did is I brought these bills. I brought a lot of bills so that way um, I could tee up the, the, the subject and the conversation. And then those bills would get passed later in the future, either by me or by someone else. Um, so I'm just I'm proud of of the bill sponsors uh, all of them uh latinas who brought the bill um i'm so proud of them for for getting that bill across the finish line and what was really cool is that they added the lgbtq community as part of the bill which is i just think is just fantastic do you have any disabled history in there because colorado is kind of the uh, home of disabled history you know, I don't, I, I don't know if, if, if they included the, 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 the disabled community in there. You know, I, I think that they're going to weave in a lot of intersectionality uh, into, into the curriculum. Uh, I just don't know what they did in terms of adding that this year. But that's a very good question, though. Um, yeah. Let's do some free word association. Okay. You want to do that? Yeah. Okay, we're going to segue a little bit off of all of that and then uh, talk a little bit about... Um, Maybe give us three words or less about these presidential candidates. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> okay. Just a little game. Okay. okay. I go first. Okay, go ahead. Biden. Man, I'm supposed to be nice. You know that, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, past his time. Oh, that's a good <laughs> one. Warren. Um, proud of her. Tulsi Gabbard. Wouldn't touch with a ten foot pole. <laughs> <laughs> I'll accept that. Yeah, right. Ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I got a lot of words for that guy, but for me it's uh not a chance. I would say McKenzie and company. Uh, ex- exactly <laughs> right. Especially now uh, stuff's starting to come out. Did you see that the blue the the, the one of the projects that he worked on? Ice. Uh, Blue Cross and Blue Shield, oh, and that they that. raise their they raise their premiums, which hurt union workers and caused union workers to lose their jobs in in Michigan. And so, like, yeah, this stuff was being reported on my way over here, and I was like, man. I saw <laughs> the one where McKinsey and Company was uh, a, 
they had even the PowerPoints on how they were recommending to to ICE on how to put more people into smaller places. And uh, that's a little... The dude's a villain in disguise. How's that? Perfect. Yeah, that's... All right, <laughs> we got the three words in there. Right. Uh, Bloomberg. Uh, get the hell out of this race. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll go with a pretty obvious one here. Uh, Hickenlooper. Well, it's not presidential, but yeah. Okay, so just... Yeah, I mean, he was, right? He was, but yeah. Yeah, uh... Giddy up, pick, retire. <laughs> Bennett. Uh, giddy up, pick, retire. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. All right. um, so, speaking of presidential candidates, you were a big Bernie supporter. Right. Um, still feeling the burn? I'm his campaign co-chair for the state of Colorado, so absolutely. So you're on fire, yeah. Um, I, I, haven't, I haven't lost that fire. <laughs> nice. Um, I, I caucus for Bernie as well. I really enjoyed him. What do you think is one of his strongest qualities that should attract people? Strongest quality is, and this is what people try to criticize him about, is they say, well, he he hasn't changed his message. It's like, because when you're on the right side of history, you're always right. He doesn't have to change his message. It's been his message for the past 40 years. And that's what I love about him, is that you see um, elected, uh, you see you see people who run for office. And, and you see this also too with, with Warren. I'm, I'm very proud of Warren, but you see this with her is that um, she, she ebbs and flows with political winds. And I hate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't see that with Bernie. Bernie's just boom. This is, this is where I'm at because this is, uh, I'm here for humanity. Mm-hmm. And if I could be honest, I've seen the same thing in you. Oh, thank like, you. I appreciate you've that. You've never wavered. So, yeah. I, I tried not to. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, I, I grew up a, an activist, right? I was I was born through that fire, and uh, and and I wanted to stay true to who I was uh, as an elected official. And um, and I got to say that it wasn't hard to do that. <laughs> I, I can only imagine what kind of dancing you have to do to try to you know get out of your positions. Uh-huh. And and if you just stay where you're at, that's so much better. What do you think is the from when you began as a, I don't know, 18 year old to now, how do you think you've matured as a person or as a person? Mm. What do you think you've learned most? Yeah. So, so my wife still thinks that I act like an 18 year old sometimes, (laughs) (laughs) but, (laughs) um, oh man, I've, I've matured so much. I, you know, you go through, there's this spectrum of growth, particularly when you're, you're an indigenous man, uh, you know, a a man of color. And, uh, especially when, um, you know, you're taught a certain thing in your in your formative years to to the point you get to college, and then you learn that life is a little bit different than what you thought, right? And then you 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 grow th- you you go through this growth of you know at first there's there's this anger and then there's this you know these other aspects of this spectrum until you finally get to a point where you feel comfortable with who you are as a human being, right? And it, it, it takes people a while to get through that spectrum. And so it took me a while. Uh, and where I'm at now is that, um, and, and I've said this about what does it mean to be progressive? Progressive means that you don't leave anybody behind, right? Even if they hate you, man, mm. even if they hate you, you know you're fighting for them anyway. And I posted mm. that, I think, on Facebook yesterday that, you know, that indigenous people, regardless of the hell that we've been through for, for centuries, we're still fighting for everybody, particularly when it comes to the environment, is that, you know, we're fighting for everybody's children. Um, and uh, that's that's where I've rested as a, as a human being is that, um, you know, I try not to leave anybody behind. Mm. You mentioned the environment, and I know the Native culture is really, it's an important element to you guys. 
what what sort of things did you do in the legislature and stuff like that maybe to help with the environment what sort of things are you doing now like that's a very important subject. It is. It is. Yeah. So when I was at the le- at the legislature, I ran uh, the 2015 Oil and Gas Liability Act to hold the oil and gas uh, industry accountable for its actions, um, to the harm that it did to individuals as well as property. Um, I was able to get that through the house. No one thought I was going to be able to get that through the house, and I, I got it through the house, and uh, would you know promptly died in the Senate. Um, but what was really interesting about that bill is that uh, once again. Um, I, I did pride myself on being a, a legislator who tried to look beyond just today. Mm-hmm. Um, that bill failed in 2015. And when I was on the House floor, I said, what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for an explosion before you actually take some action? Are you waiting mm-hmm. for the loss of life? Are you waiting for children um, uh, to, to, to be killed? I said, what are you waiting for? And then fast forward a year later, then we have the Firestone incident that took place, right? Mm. So I, I brought that bill. I brought the Martinez bill, uh, which was to codify the the Earth Guardian's position uh, in the Martinez versus COGCC case. Um, and and had had I, had we codified that, it would have changed the way that uh, that the COGCC would have to operate. Which, by the way, if failed, then. But now it's been codified in Senate Bill 181, which passed this year. So like I said, you lay the groundwork over here, and then you see the fruits of your labor someplace else. And now I'm the executive director of Colorado Rising. I took the organization and in, 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 um, in, in modified it. Uh, we still look at ballot initiatives to help protect the environment. But now I'm litigating cases because I told the, the uh, organization I want to start trying cases against the oil and gas industry in court. So that's what we've been doing, and we've been extremely aggressive on doing that. Nice. Speaking of elections, um, if you don't mind sharing the experience of running for attorney general. Man, I tell you, that, that, that one's a mixed bag. I had, I'll, t- I'll tell you, it was the best and funnest experience running for statewide office. <laughs> I loved it. I really did. I didn't think I was going to like it, but I loved it because I was able to go across my state, right? Mm. My grandfather, when I was little, he used to take me around the state a lot. And he used to tell me, he used to say, Ijo, this is your state too, right? He wanted to reinforce in me that, you know, that we've been here before there was a state. Mm. Um, and so... Um, to, to go across the state and to sit and meet people on the Eastern Plains or West Slope, um, down in the San Luis Valley, all the way up north um, and northeast. Man, I got to tell you, Coloradans, we're cool people. Mm. We really are. Even the Republicans that I met who, who would come to my meet and greets, they were really cool people. One of the, mm. one of the uh, sh- most shocking moments for me was when I went out to uh, the Eastern Plains, uh, not in a very progressive county, mm. uh, very conservative county and some Republicans showed up and they said, uh, Representative Salazar, the one thing that we ask for you from you is uh, when you become attorney general, we need you to fight against Trump on his immigration policies. Mm-hmm. They said, if our immigrant families leave here, our town dies. And they recognized it. Mm-hmm. Right. They, and, and, and one of them said, there are families, too. Mm. And it, it caught me off guard, right? I thought I was going to be punked. I thought, you know, they were trying to trick me into something, but they were serious. Mm. And so that was a really cool moment. Now, it was a mixed bag because, man, the racism that I faced from Democrats during that time period, uh, running for attorney general, it was astounding. Like, literally, I was getting called the N-word uh, 
Yeah, right? Wait, what? what? Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, my campaign manager, uh, my staff, I mean, I, we I would. I heard a little about that, yeah. Yeah, so we, uh, the things that we faced, or the things that I faced uh, being on the campaign trail was astounding. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had people here in Denver uh, spreading a, a, a lie that I, I had a, a felony conviction that I had been in jail. I'm like, you know damn well that you <laughs> cannot be a civil rights attorney and have a felony conviction and be in jail. You know, but people, wow. you know, they went back to the racist tropes of, well, you know, he's brown and so he's must a criminal have, must or have something. Done something. He must have done something. I uh, had someone wow. tell me, well, why would I, uh, why would I vote for someone who who acts like a gangster? And and she said that on Facebook, and she got lit up mm. so <laughs> hard. She got lit up. And, and on the point of, of of racism, and I know you know a lot of our listeners are Democrats, and I know this is yeah, not going to be perceived well but a lot of studies sub, you know studies so, uh, so sociology studies and political science studies have shown that at least subconsciously racism is the same among democrats and republicans so it's not a political issue when it comes to you know subconscious discrimination that you know it's it's an issue across the board well, and I'm, I'm glad that you are, you know, bringing this up, that this was not just a political issue and, and you faced it from from both sides, basically. We started this podcast just because of that, because we, the original three of us, we we believe that, that a lot of Democrats were not facing the issues of racism and um, gender issues. So I have a lot of stories about, you know, being a legislator and sitting down in our caucus meetings, uh, you know, the House Democratic Caucus. And there were there were times when I had to get mad at my colleagues because of the things that they would say, like, you know, black and brown bills, they were given the term toxic. Um, and that that word that you know that that word was used an awful lot by white Democrats uh, to describe our bills. Well, those bills are toxic. And I, I stood up in one meeting. I was pissed. I had enough of it. And I was like, "This is okay if I use a bad word." Uh, we curse all the time. <laughs> okay. I was like, "This is bullshit." I said, "If I hear one more of you use that kind of language to describe our bills, I will blow your shit up in Facebook." I said, "God, I said, God help you." I said, "I will do that to you," and uh, it really sparked a conversation about how um, you know how words were were used to describe our bills. But even though we were able to stop that kind of language, the feeling was still there, mm. right? The sentiment was still there. Like a good example would be uh, Javon's. Uh, Representative Melton's bill to to stop chokeholds, and um, and the fact that you know the white Democrats um, had a problem, uh, you know, wanting to vote in favor of that bill, and the bill never, you know, actually um, mm. had a hard time uh, getting through the the legislature. In fact, I'm not so certain that it actually got all the way through the legislature. You know, there were a number of other things that we had to deal with, uh, like the contract disparity bill that uh, Senator. Then Representative Angela Williams and I brought mm. together. I mean, we we faced a lot of criticism from both sides of the aisle about, well, why do we need to take a look at contract disparities when it comes to state dollars? It's like because that's how wealth is built in communities. Mm. And if you're not uh, if you're not granting dollars to qualified black, brown, and 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 women run uh, businesses, no wealth is created that way. And so that's what we have to look at. And, you know, that bill, it failed every single time that we that we brought it. And Angela Williams was able to pass it this year. 
So, you know, I mean, there was there, there was so much that we had to deal with. And so when you talk about the fact that Democrats have to own up to certain things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yep. That's somewhat. But I know you dealt with it a good bit in your AG run. I want to talk about that a little more because there was one point I think that you had over Phil Weiser that I just adored. And that was your point on Tabor. Can you re-explain to people your sort of strategy on how you would have attacked Tabor as AG? Because I think that was one of the big differences between you and Phil Weiser. Yeah, I wouldn't have defended it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Any challenge, any challenge to Tabor, uh, I would not have defended. I, I, I believe that it, it was an equal protection issue. I still do, um, because it, it has a, um, a, a deleterious effect on rural areas. We know that to be true. Um, that's why the hospital provider bill mm-hmm. uh, was turned into an enterprise fund is because we saw that what Tabor was doing to rural areas is just basically killing rural areas, just dying on the vine. And uh, and and uh, the hospital provider bill turning it into an enterprise fund was basically just this little tiny band aid on a mm. on a dam that's about ready to crack. Mm. And so I said that I wasn't going to uh, I wasn't going to defend Tabor, which shocked the hell out of everybody. Well, you have to do this. No, I don't. It's called it's called discretion, right? And uh, we can have and we've seen that with other. <laughs> We've seen that with other attorney generals that they've actually engaged in their discretion not to defend certain constitutional amendments or certain mm-hmm. statutes or whatever. And and it had nothing to do with the fact that um, I just felt that it was legally indefensible as well as uh, it's indefensible in terms of our morals. Mm. Can I, I've been burning to ask somebody from Adams County this issue, okay? <laughs> um, Dave Young, the DA was dating a young woman who wound up dead and nobody's been talking about it people are blaming her ex-husband and now they say uh that the coroner ruled it a suicide i believe right nobody's talking about it and it's really bugging me tell me what you think about it so uh you know in 2016 uh when he ran for office again i did not support him i refused to support him i supported his uh, his opponent uh, karen, karen Datz, Datz, who is now a judge in adams county and um there was a reason for that you know i have my i have really big ears and when i put them to the ground i can hear an awful lot and so um <laughs> so you know i uh, i have always kept my ears to the ground in terms of what's happening in adams county and this was one of those things that was coming up is that you know he was engaging in untoward behavior you know particularly with his female staff and and and, and other women and so i didn't uh you know i wasn't going to support that I gave the uh, the nominating speech for Karen Dance at the uh, Adams County um, at the Adams County Assembly, and tore it up like he he didn't even win at Adams County Assembly. No, he didn't he even didn't. get his thirty percent. He didn't. He didn't get thirty percent. He had to petition on, and then he had a ton of money brought in after he petitioned on. But he didn't even win at, at County Assembly. So when this came up, now getting back to 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 your question, because I I want to tee it up as to why I feel a certain way. So when this came up, it wasn't a shock to me, number one, that he was engaged in this kind of, uh, you know, extramarital affair. I mean, that's that's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then number two, the coroner ruling it as a suicide. Um, I felt very skeptical that, you know, that indeed it was a suicide. Uh, I don't have any evidence to prove otherwise. But, you know, there there was enough information in there to uh, at least raise some uh, some suspicion about what happened. 
Um, you know, I feel so bad for, for her family, and I believe her dad was a judge. Yeah, he's a friend of my father's. Yeah, and and so I, you know, I just, I, I feel really bad for that family. I, I really wish that uh, maybe an independent investigation is done into it. That would be a polis's alley to, to look at that, but I don't think he would do it. Yeah, that's my question. Is is Dave Young still presiding over this case, her death? I don't know if he is or not. I think that he recused himself from it. Okay. But, um, you know, I, I just, man, I tell you, there's some stuff that stinks to high heaven, and you just try to smell it out, right? Yeah. We're Adams County strong, Joe. Well, spe- <laughs> speaking of Adams, wasn't there something with embezzlement or something from the party? Oh, yeah, that was with the... Uh, prior county commissioner yeah, yeah. I, I didn't have anything to do with that side what <laughs> didn't have anything to do i with know that. you didn't i'm not saying <laughs> you did <laughs> there have been a few things on both sides of the you know yeah. both yeah. sides of the political spectrum oh, brighton's a mess brighton's a mess yeah, yeah. it's a hot mess i, I got a ticket there once uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you may want to stay in uh, weld county for a while right. <laughs> oh you want to continue with the, your story from gordon's party <laughs> no, I don't. Gordon and Schmidt invited me to be a speaker alongside Tancredo at his 50th. I think it was his 50th birthday party. Okay. And I was like, absolutely not, Gordon. Are you kidding? <laughs> Why in the world would I do that? You know? Um, oh, you know, I just, uh, you know, I, I think that you would have fun. And you and I, we've had a good relationship. And I'm like, Gordon, there's no way in the world I'm going to go to your birthday party <laughs> and speak alongside Tancredo. It's just not going to happen. Wow. Can I make a confession? Sure. I mean, you were the speaker. No. No. Okay. <laughs> I had actually nothing to do in this situation, but it felt really awkward. So in 2004, which was a year after I had immigrated to this country, and I was very active at the community college, which was part of Tancredo's district at the time when he was congressman. So, you know, once I did the ego surfing, right, when you look up your name, and I saw myself uh, show up in the house.gov website. So apparently, Tancredo had paid me congressional tribute because I assume my name sounded like an immigrant name. So he wanted to, you know, to be on the record supporting a documented immigrant, but never bothered to tell me that he had given me this huge <laughs> honor. <Nice. laughs> wow. And I was like, in a way, I felt really good about it. I'm like, okay, because if Fed asked for my permission, I don't know how, you know, right. responded to, to Tancredo. But that brings us to maybe an election that, you know, you have not followed us closely because it's a different part of town. But Mike Kaufman, mayor of Aurora, and Mike Kaufman was a person who took Tancredo's seat mm-hmm. in a very conservative area, then somehow became moderate, right, uh, after the redistricting. And now he was able to to get elected in, what, the most diverse city um, right. in Colorado, um, or one of the most diverse cities. Um, how, how did that happen, and, and what lessons do, you know, Democrats need to learn from that? Well, I, I think number one is that uh, it, it took a while to topple Kaufman, right? I mean, we've had a number of contenders going after him from Joe McClosey to Andrew Romanoff to um, uh, Morgan, Morgan Carroll and now uh, to Jason Crow. Um, but I, I think what happened uh, was that uh, from Joe McClosey moving forward to Jason Crow, um, it highlighted the failed leadership that Kaufman showed in that district, particularly the VA and what was happening with the VA. Um, anything that happened, uh, you know, with respect to police brutality and things of that nature or, you know, the, the, the rhetoric that he was throwing around about, uh, about immigrant families, I mean, that was just chipping away at that what was once perceived as impenetrable armor. 
Um, and uh, I think that often, um, oftentimes you see a lot of politicians do themselves in. Um, and, and he did. I think that he did himself in. And let's not take it, take anything away from uh, the Democratic candidates who ran against him. Uh, I just think that they they expose the fact that, hey, look, you know, this guy isn't who he says he is. And, you know, immigrant families, stop voting for him. I mean, my goodness, he he hates you. Right. I mean, he'll may, he may come to your synagogue. He may come to your mosque. He may come to your church. This dude, he doesn't like you when he after he leaves. He didn't like you before he walked in. He certainly didn't like you after he left. So for the fact that he was elected mayor of Aurora. 215 votes. 215 votes over Omar Montgomery, my homeboy, NAACP, someone who was loved in community. I mean, it's just, I don't, I don't get, I don't get the, the political psyche of the public sometimes. (laughs) I just don't get it. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> yeah, it it's kind of mind-boggling that Kaufman would be able to win there after he lost the congressional race as well, being an incumbent in that congressional race, and then to come back and now be mayor of the city of Aurora, especially such a diverse city. I, I would be willing to say it's probably one of the more diverse within the metro area, correct? I, I think it is the most diverse, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And he still won there. And, it's in, it's, go and, ahead. and to win with so much... Uh, corporate cash being funneled into his campaign. I mean, it could not have been any more obvious how much, uh, basically, he sold himself, like he always has, he sold himself to corporations. And for the the fact that people will still elect someone like that, it's astonishing to me. How do you think he won? (laughs) Blood (laughs) blood sacrifice? uh, (laughs) Okay. So, what do you think are the biggest or two biggest problems facing Colorado right now? Well, climate change. Um, that's, that's, that's the one, uh, one thing that's we all have in common. I mean, throughout the world, that's, that's the biggest thing that we're facing right now is, is climate change, fossil fuel industry, all that. I mean, I, I fold that all up into one. Uh, the, the second thing that I think is one of the biggest things that's, that we're facing is the specter of Tabor. Uh, it, it's not done with us. It's, it's crushing us. And, uh, and and because it's crushing us, the legislature is having to, you know, make some pretty unsavory deals. Um, I know that, uh, you know, Governor Polis wanted to have full day kindergarten. That money had to come some, from someplace. Mm-hmm. And I know that, you know, just having my ears to the ground, like I said, I have big ears, um, that there are legislators who were really upset mm-hmm. with the fact that he wanted to, to force that through because it meant taking from someplace. Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask you, though, I want to I talk about it a little bit because uh, there was a referendum recently about uh, keeping the money from Tabor instead of giving it back, yeah. and it failed. And Polis said that he believes the people have spoken and that th- there's not much we can do about it at this point. Knowing that there's another referendum coming in this next election to just remove Tabor entirely, how do you feel about that whole situation with what Polis said about it and like, what do you think the chances of it are? Yeah, so um, I, I think that oftentimes uh, Polis acts like a political coward. Um, you know, he just he just wants to say, well, you know, the people have spoken here, and so let's just sweep it under the rug and, and, and leave it alone. But uh, what he doesn't take into account, and maybe because he's just ignorant about this, is the effect that it's having on rural communities. Um, and, and I just, I hate that kind of politician. Um, uh, and let's think about it this way. Uh, the asset bill. 
the bill that provided in-state tuition for undocumented students here in the state of Colorado, it toiled in the legislature for 10 years. And, and it, failed, it failed six times before it was passed. We don't give up just because we ex- experienced a failure, right? We continue moving forward and trying to repeal this thing because it is killing our state. And so for Polis to say that, I just, I just think that it makes him even more irresponsible than, than what I already think he is. The 2018 uh, governor race, that was a, that was a pretty interesting yeah. fight. Who do you think would have made a stronger, well, a, a, good, a good candidate for governor? We had some interesting candidates for governor. <laughs> yeah, we did. We did. Um, you know, I thought Carrie Kennedy had, you know, she definitely had the, uh, the fiscal chops to understand so much about uh, about Tabor and, 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 and other things. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, she's also someone who, you know, didn't necessarily, uh, you know, put her head in the sand on, on all sorts of issues. I think mm-hmm. that she would be fighting uh, the Trump administration harder than Polis would be, than what Polis has been fighting uh, against the Trump administration. And so, you know, I mean, you know, we're, we're all, you know, hindsight's 20, 2020, right? Uh, I, I, I sometimes wonder how Kerry Kennedy would have done as, as governor. I'm not happy with Polis at all. I don't like the way that he treats people. I've been hearing from, from community members all across the state that, you know, he, he, he's become very rude. Uh, he just doesn't want to sit down with people. And, um, or that if he does sit down with people that, you know, he just, um, uh, he's not really responsive to their needs. Who, who else do I think would have been a, a good candidate in 2020 or in, uh, in, in uh, 2018? I don't know. Um, that that would have been uh, it would have been interesting had we had a more progressive person running. What if Perlmutter didn't drop out? I love Ed. Um, <laughs> he's he's my congressman. Yeah, I mean there there are things about his record that you know uh, I, I'm I'm concerned about, but you know he he is considered one of the best uh, congresspersons in Congress because he is so responsive and his yeah. his uh, staff operates like a dream. They respond to people. And that's what I always loved about Ed is that maybe we weren't always on the same side, but at least you could get an answer from the dude. At least you could get a face-to-face with him. And you know that he was going to just tell you what he thinks instead of sidestepping you and, 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 and blowing you off, uh, just handing you that respect. Um, that's what I like about Ed. And I really wish that he would not have dropped out because Jared's money was not insurmountable. You know, and... and um, I just I wish Ed would have stayed in. I get why he why he dropped out because of family concerns and what have you. But yeah, like I said, hindsight. Hindsight, absolutely. So we talk about all these people running and everything like that. What's next for you? You know, I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm going to continue moving with uh, with Colorado Rising and help build the organization. Um, you know, look to 2020 and the things that we're going to do in 2020. You know, do everything that I can to 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 crush the oil and gas industry here in the state of Colorado. Um, you know, I've made that position pretty clear, so it's not as if you know me saying it here. You know, I'm afraid they're oh they're going to pick up on my soundbite. Um, <laughs> they, you know, they 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 know they know that that I'm coming for them. Um, but, you know, in terms of running for office, you know, I, I keep my options open. Uh, and a lot of people have asked me to, you know, take a look at the new congressional seat. If it comes up my way, uh, take a look at the Senate seat, uh, depending on what Bennett does. Take a look at the governor's seat. Uh, and, and right now, um, I'll tell you that I'm enjoying being uh, being at home with my family. Uh, being in the legislature for six years, that hurt my family a lot. 
you know, they, they toiled for me. Um, you know, my wife got death threats and we had to move the family out of the house three times. And yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it was, it was legit stuff, but she, you know, both my wife and my two girls, they, they stayed fast with me, you know, because they knew that the work that I was doing would be, uh, important, uh, not only to our family, but to other families as well. And so, you know, we've, we've gone through a healing period, uh, now that I'm, now that I'm out and, I'm I'm feeling actually kind of cool though, man, because you know I'm I'm able to celebrate the holidays without having to run t- from one place to another. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, I I don't know if you remember this, but uh, you know I went to Standing Rock uh, for the for mm-hmm. the Thanksgiving uh, during that time period, which was hard on the family too. Um, so I've I've enjoyed being home with family, but I'm not going to say that I I wouldn't run again. Get my wife's permission. Mm-hmm. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I had a lot of people ask me for to run for U.S. Senate this time around. And uh, I was on a conference call with a rather large organization. I had the speakerphone on. And, uh, and so the, the entire board was on this call. I didn't know that everybody would be there. And so they said, you know, we want to ask you to run for U.S. Senate. And my wife, knowing that the speakerphone was on, she said, I will slide a dagger through your lung. Oh. And I was like, there's your answer, folks. It's <laughs> oh, a hard no. Yeah. It's a hard no. <laughs> do, you, do you have a favorite candidate or two in the Democratic I primary? I don't. Not yet. I, I, I have a least favorite candidate, uh, Hickenlooper. I think mm, Hickenlooper, Hickenlooper would be uh, just an absolute disaster. Number one, he doesn't want the job. He said that. And, and number two, you elect him, you just elected Cory Gardner uh, all over again, right? I mean, uh, they don't really differ too much on 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 um, on a lot of issues. Um, I really wish that uh, the other candidates would step up a little harder um, and have better run campaigns. But uh, you know, you can only do what you can do. I think it's time for final thoughts. Yeah, we can start heading into final thoughts. We're gonna wrap it up here. Uh, you can go first. Or you can go last, whichever you please. Well, as an attorney, I like having the last thought. So. I <laughs> totally agree with that. Um, anybody else want to go first? You want me to? Or? Sure, I'll go. Go. Got it. My final thought is on an education bill that will be coming up in the legislature. The Denver Post reported about it last week. It's uh, actually modeled after um, the minority civic education law we talked about, and this will be on genocide education in Colorado, which I think is very important. It's not about history, it's about the future and the present because to me that's one of the best ways of raising students who care about human rights and who care for their communities is to know what racism, bigotry, and unchecked government power can do to our communities. And so I'm in full support and, and, and look forward to helping that effort, whether as a citizen uh, this legislature, or maybe if we have to do the next session as an elected member. This is to my husband, Abel. Stop messing with my socks. You just like, <laughs> you never freaking fucking find them. <laughs> like, just, just leave them where they are. Thank you. I, I did not know that was an option. <laughs> <laughs> may, I, may I redo mine? No, <laughs> no way. No way. I've learned it. Shake it, Maddie. Don't worry. Um, so, my final thought is on the impeachment. Uh, I watched a bit of the uh, Judiciary Committee hearing, and, I mean, it seems like Republicans are just trying to make a mockery of everything and throw out distractions. It seems like Democrats are half-heartedly, I would even say, just pushing towards this because the timing seems weird. I mean, there's plenty of things Trump's done up to this point that we probably could have brought some stuff on him. But to be quite honest, I I don't think we're doing anything but hurting our chances in 2020. Hmm. 
So my thought is is more towards the uh, uh, the young environmental activists, uh, particularly the Sunrise Movement and, and Boulder Sunrise. You know, they engaged in action last uh, last week that uh, sparked some um, some rather harsh comments against them uh, during the sustainability conference here in Denver. Uh, they passed around knowing it was disinformation because that was their tactic. They passed around a flyer uh, with it looked like Denver letterhead saying that uh, city and county of Denver uh, uh, had declared a climate emergency and that Polis was also declaring a climate emergency. It was all false and they knew it and they knew that they would get caught, right? But they did it in order to highlight the, the you know, the mm. um, what they're not doing, what city and county of Denver is not doing and also what Polis is not doing. And they took a lot of help for that, for the disinformation campaign. And so I took to Facebook and I said, uh, well, let's talk about disinformation campaigns just in terms of uh, U.S. history. You know, uh, U.S. history is full of disinformation campaigns going back from Columbus to Doctrine of Discovery, moving all the way up to the Civil Rights Movement. Uh, oh, hello, WMDs in, in, in Iraq and, you know, and, uh, you know, the fact that we're there almost 20 years off, off of a disinformation campaign. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that I agree with what they did or, or that I disagree with what they did. It's a tactic. Right. And um, the fact is, is that these young folks, they're fighting for all of us and we should at least honor that. And, and so, you know, for for my final thoughts, I, I just want to uh, give them a shout out and let them know that I honor them for what they're doing. Thank you so much. Well, that's all the time we have. Thank you for joining us again. We really Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you. Uh, say bye, Thank everybody. You. Bye. bye. <laughs> Yeah, guns close doors to the system Yeah, fuck them when we say we're not with them